Welcome to Tales from the East End, a Shamrock Rovers podcast for the fans, by the fans, recording once again from Johnny Blue's Bar. Straight out of Crumlin. <laughs> I'm Gary Parsons and with me as always is the Prof Carl Riley. This is our second show and we want to thank everybody who listened, downloaded, shared, liked, retweeted the first episode. Very, very much appreciated. We're feeling the love. Yeah, we were delighted with the response we got. Um, lots of great feedback posted online and so many people were coming up to us at the Dundalk game. As well, just to say well done and that, that they really enjoyed it. So thank you to everyone who did that. Uh, we really appreciate it. And this has this has spawned from this is pretty much just every Sunday, just sitting around talking shit about rovers anyway. So and chatting about it constantly. So let's let's do something with it. That's that's pretty much how it came about. And uh, we're gonna talk about the Dundalk game and get that out of the way first. Uh, there's, there's a lot to get through about rovers and bowls games, and we'll be hearing from Jason Maloney. The biggest club, and we asked you to tell us your personal fan stories from the derbies through the years, where the best one wins a rover scarf and a mug, courtesy of the Megastore. Uh, we got some brilliant stuff on our Facebook page for that, and thanks to everyone who wrote in. Uh, you know what amused me about our social media work for this show? What? Is that I'm a self-confessed Twitter addict. Yes, yes, certainly are. You, on the other hand, have never tweeted in your life. But you do use Facebook all the time. You know exactly what you're doing on Facebook. <laughs> Whereas I have never had a Facebook page before. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So you refuse to go on Facebook, though. Yeah. So individually, we're lacking. But together, we make one computer-literate human man. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's not even that uh, I don't want to go on Twitter. I just never bothered with it. Never bothered. I had no reason. Um, But now I do. Should I be ashamed that I've never tweeted before? I don't know. I'm starting to feel old. Um, yeah so we put up a few pictures online we show people our set and yes that is actually a mini scaffold between us holding up the microphone we posted a picture of the members pack we got last week and I have to say the PR by the club has been top class this season especially in the media always something positive online or in the papers I mean one of the first things I do in the morning is just google Shamrock Rovers check out news check out videos whatever There's, it's been positive and, and really good this season so uh, hats off to the media officer and Everyone involved. Absolutely, yeah. The season started off with a 2-1 defeat in Dundalk. Graham Burke came off the bench to score on his debut. Lovely goal. And uh, took a deflection. Get us back into the game, but it was shown a red card moments later. I thought we had them on the ropes. Well, they were, the champions were hanging on against 10 men at the end, which, if you look at it that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. McAllister flicked a shot onto the crossbar at the end. If that goes in... Could you imagine the scenes? Yeah, it was. Um, I was it was it like a back flick? Cause the camera, oh, the camera kind of camera work wasn't great. I kind of struggled to see what type of shot. It looked like a flick, but uh, soccer public seemed to think that was Sean Boyd who took that shot. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, the red card. I think it was just an adrenaline rush. To be honest, he'd scored a few minutes earlier on his debut. Moment of madness. Seemed to go viral as well. Uh, took the heat off Deli Ali for a while at least. Uh, it was bad. But it wasn't extremely bad. It was a bit over the top. Beyond yeah, the stuff. reaction was obviously a people. I mean, public enemy number one. That's that's Shamrock Rovers all over, isn't it? Uh, our play. Um, the first twenty minutes, I thought we started well. I thought O'Connor was a nuisance in a good way. I thought he hassled defenders. I'd love to see him play up front with two, he with a with a partner. He was a bit isolated on his own. So he was. He was. Whenever he received the ball, he he, he seemed to be quite deep in their half and you know we struggled to get it get our team up with him at the same time it's just I'd love to see him up front with a, with a strike partner 
big improvement in the second half when Finn and Boyd came on. I thought Finn's cameo was very nice. He seemed eager. He seemed didn't didn't care about past allegiances. He just wanted to get stuck in. It was it was good to see us show some fight. I mean that was that performance. The one thing I liked about it was that we showed a lot of fight. We rallied, and um, it's something that we've been missing. That spark and that bit of unity in the last few years. Yeah, I mean ball retention wasn't great, but there was seven debutants in the starting eleven, so it's a lot. Yeah. Even, I mean, you'd be a madman to expect instant success there. I mean, we need time to gel. We we, we really do. Um, I think Trevor Clark might be wasted at fullback. I mean, they targeted him. They were putting the ball down his side quite a lot. And I think, in, on his day, he can be a fantastic winger. One of the best in the, in the league. And I think I think we need to get him out there. Considering Brando, Brando Mille isn't exactly... Prof- I know it's only the start of the season. He had a, quite a poor season last year. He was quiet again, yeah. He was quiet again. But he did show, like I said, he showed a bit of heart. I mean, he got 20 goals in two seasons. Is uh, is it a case of accommodating? Because personally, I think Brando does his best stuff in the hole. But, I mean, Finn's there now. So, it doesn't, it doesn't look great. And in terms of the the trip to Oriel Park, I should mention there were a few loopers roaring abuse at the Dundalk subs as they warmed up. I won't name names. But uh, poor Connor Clifford was getting a hard time. Yeah, he, I mean, he's he's bound to get a he's bound to get a hard time coming home from England, and he was the next big thing, wasn't he? He was uh, the next big Irish international, and it just never worked out for him. So that's your ammo right there. I mean, you can't give Rovers fans ammo like that. Uh, the goals onto the goals now that we gave away. The, uh, I thought they were very poor goals to give away, avoidable, avoidable goals. Um, Dan Devine admitted himself in an interview today that he should have stuck the ball in row Z, which is it's good that he can admit that. I mean, it's very nice to play the ball out all the time, which is what I like to see, but sometimes you just have to get rid of it. Um, or, uh, sorry, did I say Dan Devine, or did I mean uh, Dan Tierney, as Brian <laughs> Kerr uh, seems to think is his name? He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's very quotable, isn't he, Brian Kerr? Yeah, I love Kerr. But I do like the look of Dan Devine. He likes to play it out from the back. Uh, he looks mobile and... I, I think he's going to start quite a lot this season. He said that he was taught to do that at Aston Villa in the academy and that Brazier is encouraging him to do it again, to play out from the back. Yeah, that's that's the way I want to see us play football, definitely. We wanted to make a point about something as well. Uh, one of our female listeners mentioned that she had to pay the extra fiver into the stand just to have access to the toilet facilities. And I think that's ridiculous. That's the second year in a row I've heard that happening. Um, if you've been in Oriel Park, you'll know what the facilities are like. The portaloos are, let's be honest, they're for they're for men. Men use portaloos. Even the clean, even the cleanest portaloos, you'll struggle to find a woman using those. And the fact that they charge a woman to go in and use the bathroom an extra fiver just because it was in the stand, it's a disgrace. And something has to be done about it. I mean, you have a young daughter, so if you ever wanted to bring her to Oriel Park. The terrace just wouldn't be an option for you because of those Definitely portals, not. So no, no way. No just, way would I bring my daughter in there. It's, it's really depressing that nothing ever changes. Yeah, and they don't seem to care. So, I mean, less about them anyway. So, uh, personally, I think Boyd has to start against Boss. I think uh, he was brilliant when he came on. The way he was turning defenders and getting at them as well. So, he, I mean, he's receiving the ball and he's turning quickly and he's gone. He wants to attack players. And... Uh, kudos to him and O'Connor for roiling the crowd up trying to get us going it's uh, it's something I like to see yeah Boyd and O'Connor could form a good partnership uh, oh, and by the way on last week's show we were wondering about Gary Shaw uh, I got the scoop on that he's not fit and his missus just had a baby oh, well, congratulations Gary um, so we probably won't see their magical teamwork 
from last year again on Friday. Um, when's the last time we played balls this early in a season? It was 2005, uh, first game of the season at Dalymount Park. But the last time we played them in our first home game was actually the year 2000. We were in Sandry at the time, but the Dublin City Athletics were on. So that game was moved to Tolka Park. Ah, yeah. Um, right, so we're going to Bowes now. Bowes were hammered 4-1 by Derry in their first game. Uh, I saw a great line in the paper about Bowes signing Dinny Corcoran to solve their goal scorer woes. Now that's obviously not when he's knocking points over for the GAA or I'm not sure who he plays for but that's probably his first preference. No Bowes wouldn't be anyway. Um, yeah they were hammered 4-1. A couple of the other games were noteworthy as well. Garrett McCaffrey, former hoop, scored the only goal for Drogheda in Galway. 7-13 and 13 for him. Continuing the trend of strikers doing well after leaving Rovers. And uh, Pats lost 2-1 to Bray. Gary McCabe scored against Barry Murphy. Another two former hoops. Yeah, none of the Dublin Cubs got a point in their first game. It's actually the first time that's ever happened. It led to a thread on Reddit called Is there a crisis at Dublin League of Ireland clubs? Ah, you know that was started by someone from some little small county in the east of west of Ireland there. You know you know for a fact that wasn't started by a Dubliner. Um, Rose had a future, to be honest, though. I mean, look what we're doing off the pitch. Even the Lucan United announcement. It's it's a fantastic idea. Lucan's, hu- Lucan's huge. I'm not sure the population, but it's a big catchment area that's untouched with League of Ireland clubs. I mean, what can you affiliate Lucan with when it comes to League of Ireland? You can't. Right, uh, now we're on to Rovers and Bowes memories. Uh, we're going to try and do this in chronological order, except for the Twiggy Derby. And we're going to save the best for last. Now, we'll start off in 1987. It was the last ever derby in Milltown. Now, I've heard a lot about this. Uh, a couple of lads in work also mentioned, a couple of the older lads mentioned that this was their favourite. Derby. Uh, we came from behind to win 3-2 I think a lot of the older generation might pick that as their all time favourite um, and now let's, let's actually let's go to Jason Maloney and interview about this one with the ritual that year in Milltown we'd always stand in the shed for the first half and then we'd be able to move over for the second half we'd stand behind Robert Gold Rovers we're shooting into and it was the Milltown then that, 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 that day and we were 2-1 down and we got free kick a few months. I think Papa Warren scored the first. There were two free kicks. Papa Warren got one and Mick Neville got one. I'm sure Papa Warren got the first one. We were 2-1 down a few minutes ago. He called it over the wall, the top corner, over the wall. And then we got one again. I think it just into injury time with a couple of minutes left. And the wall stood back. Everyone expected Papa Warren to go up and do it again because that was his like, four day free kicks. But it just the ball was hit low. Mick Neville came instead. And he drilled it low into the bottom corner. And that was just unbelievable scenes. And... I spoke a minute ago about Bowes fans being in the Milltown end that day in 1983, but they were actually in the Gonzaga end that day, so they actually had to walk the next to the ground boys, and we were all still celebrating on the terrace. They had to walk boys as we were, you know, there was no real segregation as such, there was no police presence escorting fans out of the ground or as such you have nowadays, and they had to, and there wasn't even any trouble, it was just like there would have been a bit of, you know, a bit of slag in the usual, but they had to walk boy in that day, and I remember that's what I remember from that day, really, yeah, and that was brilliant. Like, and, we didn't know then it was the last, going to be the last ever Bowes game yeah. in Milltown. Obviously, we didn't know that then, no. Now, uh, more from Jason in a little while, but now we're into 1991. Ray Whelan says, John Toll, two penos, uh, one in the last minute, carnage in the shopping centre and outside. According to the prof, that was Dave Campbell, actually, right? So, uh, the stat master has corrected you on that <laughs> one. Um, around that year as well, Scott Kieran remembers Peter Eccles getting sent off on a stretcher in Daily Mount after doing Alan Bourne uh, so he tried to get out of it pretty much said <laughs> right, oh, I know I'm getting sent off here 
<laughs> I'll go up in the stretch and see if we can get away with it. Uh, up to 1994, Jerry Keaton has two from that year. He remembers yellow paint descending on the bowls below our stand in the RDS after a midweek draw in the cup. Yellow paint. Yellow paint, yeah. <laughs> and the Ring of Fire match at Daily Mount. We won 4-2, but the abiding memory of that night was the fires lit out of the shred of paper we used to bring to the ground. Uh, 1996, John Dorney says, 3-2 in Talca Park, our first game against them there. Mark Beach Boy Kenny on his debut. That was a free kick. Free kick, his specials. I want another Beach Boy special. Uh, and Tony Cousin Seal it with a late breakaway goal. Mostly, mo- uh, Most people remember it for the atmosphere and sense of occasion though. Uh, a great night to be a hoop and a bad time for the club. Um, there was also a chance that we wanted to know the origins of. I the origins and also to finish it off we weren't sure how it was finished off uh, we took the shed in a half a minute we took the shed with the Bowles fans in it they ran and they scattered or else they got battered I'm guessing there's a couple of more lines there um, I think we ended up getting them on Facebook eventually well, apparently it was a game in the late 90s a half time Rovers fans walked to the Connick Street Terrace and then ran at Bowles fans in the shed uh, which is now the Des Kelly stand. Um, they scattered fairly quick and Rovers fans spent the rush singing, run away, run away. Nothing new there from the boss. Um, 2002, Gav Doyle says the cup final, the cup semi-final in Tolga. The place was rocking and the Jippos leaving early having to walk past us where we had a great time taunting and jeering them. Uh, we've got two more from 2004. Patrick Kilmartin says the pig's head getting thrown at Grant and Daily Mount. And David Hanley writes, when Shea Kelly was taking a goal kick, he thought there was nobody behind him. Trevor Malloy ran on and kicked the ball into an empty net. The goal stood as his momentum took him off the pitch, as opposed to being injured and having to be waved back on by the referee. It's like a panto, isn't it? Look behind you. (laughs) I love those goals. There's a couple of them through the years in uh, world football, hasn't there? Can you name another one? Did Robbie Keane score one of those? Against... Oh, uh, Dion Dublin scored one against Shea Given. Dion Dublin. Uh, I'm nearly sure Robbie Keane got one. I think he did, yeah. 2006, Alan Kinsler says the FAI Cup replay victory when David Cassidy, uh, rings end man and probable hoop, I'm not too sure. I think he's playing for Pat CY now. Somebody could clear that up for us. Uh, he scored twice and Baz saved the Garrett Farley penalty. The sheer joy of knocking them out as a first division club was incredible. The demise of Gareth Farley. Bowles sacked him after yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. Now, uh, another story about the same game, 2006, uh, from Glenn Dunn. He talks about Castle scoring the two goals and apparently it was a, a neighbour of his in Ring's End and he he had walked up past Mount Joy and him and his sister were crossing the road at the library. A woman was coming out of the road and she was looking up the road towards Fisbury. She hit his sister with the car, so she's knocked down. Um, she ended up on the front of the car. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. Boat got a bit of a fright. He said he was half waiting for his sister to say, I'm not going to the game. And she never said a word. She kept walking on up to the game. And uh, he said it was a great night and they still laugh about it to this day. That's a great story. <laughs> That's quite a story. Yeah, Getting a belt of a car, but won't stop you from seeing the hoops. I like it. Yeah, I think for the criteria that we laid down, best personal story, that is a strong contender. Right yeah, there. it's up there. It's up there. As long as she was okay, that's the important Yeah, thing. actually, she lived to tell the tale. Uh, October 2009 definitely deserves a mention. Uh, Jason Bourne blazing his penalty over the bar and it's still in orbit as we speak. Yeah, the atmosphere at that game was unreal. It's one of the best I've ever experienced. 100% agree with you. Yeah, it w- the place was absolutely rocking. That was the first derby with both stands open and this was during the title running. I actually watched it back on YouTube recently and I actually got goosebumps. Yeah, I think 
Who got the goal that day? Padre Gammon? Yeah. I think it was a, a scruffy goal, wasn't it? A bit of a... Pretty scruffy. Yeah. <laughs> We're up to 2010. Dan O'Carroll says, definitely beating Balls 3-0 with Pafflin kicking McGlynn up the arse right at the East stand. Yeah. A Sunday afternoon, right after we got back from Juventus in Italy. Actually, I have to play this clip. Uh, the club has an interview with Pat Flynn going up on SoundCloud. I don't know if it's been released yet, but listen to the first 30 seconds of this where Flynn is asked for his best memory from a Bulls game. I think, the, the, I think in our time, we had a lot of good results there uh, in Tala and in the amount against Bulls. But um, probably the memory that stands out for me and probably a lot of people is when I kicked your man in the ribs and <laughs> that was the end of my Rovers career until Twiggy popped up with a goal and I think we won the match 2-0 or 3-0 but uh, it was a great day that was uh, for the lads. For me, it wasn't so good for my wallet. It wasn't so good either to the point I got after but uh, it's a great match to play in. And <laughs> so that's Paflin's best uh, best memory of a Bros and Rovers game. Booting a Jippo. Booting a Jippo. I saw... Uh... Do you remember somebody made the Hitler bunker scene about that game as well? Oh, brilliant, brilliant, uh, hilarious, hilarious. I'd love to know who made that actually. Uh, now we're up to 2011. Richie Healy says, Up at Daily Mount, being at the mercy of the Bowls fans, Manus up for the corner, last minute header by Finn. Brilliant. I actually thought Manus got that goal that day. Um, we threw everything at them in the last couple of minutes just to get that equalised. It was brilliant. Down to 10 men. The shed, shed was rocking. It was brilliant. Really enjoyed that one. Now, love late goals. Love late goals. Uh, 2014 we have Alan Morphy a good friend of ours actually sends this one in from Florida uh, the South Florida Hoop Supporters Club 3-1 win at Daily Mount uh, Gary McCabe scoring a penalty in the Rovers end but the highlight was the chanting for 20 minutes about this particular young man queuing for the chipper van at half time me and Carl were, at, were Al that day and uh, time dedicated to Hoops Al now we are moving along to O McGuire uh, he was at this one too but he got refused from the Des Kelly and ended up in the Jody found a few under-19s players and sat close by McCabe scored a penalty and we all stayed very quiet Bowes equalised at half time we found loads more hoops and all sat together Finner and Marty scored as well and we all went nuts celebrating as the Bowes fans left the Jody to a chorus of cheerio cheerio my only time in the Jody and hopefully your last time in the Jody uh, Owen McGuire well, Owen had a much better day than we did the only time we were in the Jody. And that was the 4 0 defeat under Stephen Kenny. Yeah, I remember that. Um, Kilduff. Kilduff was sitting next to us. I think Daryl Kavanagh. Uh, yeah, let's not, let's, not, let's not talk about that game, all right? <laughs> so, uh, no one mentioned the 4 0 win, surprisingly, last year. And by far our best win under Nutsy. Two goals from Brando. And um, actually, have a quick story about my son. He was, he was in school. Um, we went to his parent-teacher meeting and the teacher said, um, he follows Rovers, is that right? And I said, yeah, he certainly does. And she said to me, who's Brando? And I said, Brando is his favourite player. And she says, okay, well, yesterday he came in after his lunch and he slid from one side of the room to the other, screaming, Brando. <laughs> and so you can imagine him, he's coming in the door, slides on his knees and he says, Brando, go! so yeah he's been reprimanded on that so I had to tell him what that. happens in Tallah Stadium stays in Tallah Stadium <laughs> and that's everything and he's so, going to be a mascot at the game tomorrow yeah he will he certainly will be He's uh, he can't wait for it so um, we've been practicing our badge kissing and gestures all week yeah I've yet to indoctrinate any children or have children for that matter <laughs> yeah 
Now, uh, you wanted to say something about the match programme as well, uh, Carl. I did. The programme has been totally redesigned this year. I've actually seen a preview from the printers and I think it looks great. Really new and fresh. At the end of last season, Robert Goggins, our editor, he put together a programme committee. You might remember the questionnaire. Yeah, certainly do. We've all been working behind the scenes to make it better. So what I would say is, if you've felt let down by the quality of the programme in recent years and maybe you stopped buying... I hope you can show your support and give it a chance again by buying the balls one at least. Uh, I've got a Tales from the East End article in it. It's kind of an extension of this show. And there's a great piece in it by Jason Maloney where he calls the 16th of May 2009 and I quote the most exhilarating feeling I've ever had at a football match. And here's more from our interview with Jason. As I said we were 40 points behind them the year before. We played them three times in Tala or three times in we, in our last season of talk, we played them to beat us three times a day convincingly. We played them at Danny Mount earlier in that season to beat us 2 0. And we went, we went with them toe to toe that day. I always remember we went head to head. Bradley played that day with Steve Bradley Mans, and he was actually brilliant that day. Steve Bradley was, he was excellent. I hadn't really seen much of him, hadn't noticed the player. He was actually excellent for us that day. But I think they were a stronger out for us, and we went head to head. We tried to take them on, and they beat us 2 0. So. You know, it was uh, I think that day, and I think we drew two all against Strada shortly after, where it was all out gung ho approach. I think that was the day, and that Michael O'Neill took him off. You know, pragmatically, he says, "I'm not going to come over." When he got the jo- manager job, he was all about, "We're going to play out loud football. We're going to play, you know, eleven men passing." I mean, this is the way I play football. But I think he realised, you know, that you know we weren't the strongest team in the league that year, which we ended up finishing second, and Rembo was all the way. But I think he. Adopted a bit more pragmatic approach, but the fact we'd be beaten four times over and the fact we'd lost or the year before we'd finished 40 points behind them, you know, not not many of us expected. They scored a penalty early on, here we go, it's going through the form, this is it again. And horrible game, and then obviously, as I said, Twiggy missed two headers from six yards out. Just watch them recently again on YouTube, like two easier finishes than the one he actually, or to the two he actually scored, six yards out, one headed over the ball, and then one he just hit wide. But the bear, but that was like unbelievable because of what it meant. Like we got to equalise it. Like it's I probably like it to obviously not the same stature, but the same kind of feelings when United fans when they beat Barcelona or they beat Munich and Barcelona in you know to win the to win the Champions League, the European Cup. Like but they felt they were still celebrating the first goal when Sanchez scored the second way like that which week. You know the second goal I had that was up. I think I actually hit the deck. I was in the stand. I was, I was at the move when the gap we scored. I was in block A where the ultras were then and I was making way up to the Glenville Sweep because Glenville I think that was just open then we're having a similar type of thing to the you know to the what's happening in the 1899 Sweep now it was kind of that kind of carpeting was the 4th night in the year you pay 25 euro win I went on there with the hoops the hoops uh, supporters club they organised a night in there for afterwards so I was at, at one all I was delighted to just make way up this and we scored again it was just absolute pandemonium I just couldn't believe it and the night after then I tell it as I said, we good night in the malls and probably the Aberley after. Michael O'Neill was out that night. When he came out, he didn't generally uh, mix with the fans, but he did that night. He knew he'd come in and he, he was always going to get a good welcome that night. Of course, well, brilliant. Uh, definitely the best feeling I've felt like I've got loads of matches where we beat balls and other games we've won leagues, you know, but just that sheer, like, for what happened in two or three minutes, like, you know, the exit that goes through, you know, I mean, it's, you're taking the one all draw and you just can't really believe the second goal goes in. It was just uh, absolutely brilliant. And you have to talk to us about the Twig of Scotland song. You were the man behind that. How did it come about? And when was the first time you got the whole crowd singing it? Yeah, yeah I just would take it because he knew. Obviously, he started off in terrific fashion that year. And he scored in goals. And we had a Gary, which we started again. And he scored there. I remember his first game. He, he played a pre-season friendly against Atlone. 
The week before, the first league game was away to Bray. We finished the league's horrible game. But the week before that, we were in that loan. And he scored a great header across Ian Birmingham. And he scored a header. And we just started seeing Gary Twig. He scores, gets the ball and scores a goal. And that continued on. He scored a goal. Obviously, the goal that made him really stand out was the first goal at Tala against Sligo. We remember singing that all that night. And, you know, we remember... A lot of us said overnight that night in the, in the, in the Maldron just to make the night of it because you know the, the you know the occasion it was the first game at Tala. We're all the next morning we're still singing the Gary Twig and we're actually still singing the song. We're singing the Gary Twig scores goal after he scored the first goal against Bowes. But I was trying to think get something a bit more unique and I just you know, Twig Scotland, Twig Scotland. And I just I was practicing the shower all week singing the shower. And again, people might get funny looks off people of saying I'm singing about Gary Twig in the shower. But that's that's another thing. But, uh, yeah, I was just thinking that and I just hoped to give us reason to sing it. Now, I never even got to sing it at the game he scored. You wouldn't have got the whole crowd singing it. I remember I started, if you watch, there's a video on, of YouTube of the game of those from that night. And Twig gets in and gets interviewed and uh, Michael O'Neill's interviewed as well. And just as the interview finishes, just obviously have a great mood, a few points. Great, you know, I just the first time I ever sang, I was just there. You can just hear the strains of Twig of Scotland coming in the background. If you watch that video, you'll see it there. I think we played Derry away the next game. I think it was... Yeah, Derry away and we had a huge crowd. We'd have about five, six hundred up to Derry on Friday night. And I was on the Hoops bus, the Hoops bus was full, it would have been 45, 50 on the Hoops bus. And we started singing. I didn't someone else started singing. It's, I think it was coming up there. And then that night at five, six hundred singing it. And yeah, it was good. Yeah. We'll have to do the uh, Big Maloney interview this season. He's uh, he's very quotable. Um, maybe even inviting the Johnny Blues bar. He asked me where it was, actually. He said he knows it's coming in pubs, but he'd never heard of it. So the myth is growing. Yeah, I think we have a, a Rovers chocolate bar for whoever finds it first. Loved hearing about that game from Jason. Uh, coming up with the Twig of Scotland song. Michael O'Neill being there too. Michael O'Neill, MBE. That's right. The Queen is a big fan apparently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how could you not be a fan of Michael O'Neill at this stage? He's, he's destined for big things, you know. Um, always have a good thing to say about Michael O'Neill. Uh, last week we mentioned the Gary Twig photo from that game. Uh, we have hanging up on the wall here. <laughs> you can actually... Uh, in the video, you can well in the photo you can see me standing there on the boards. But in the video, just after Twiggy walks off, I go flying off the wall and I nearly broke my ankle. A bit of a fall. A bit of a fall. Yeah, a couple of people did. In fairness, Vincent Collins um, went skidding into the bowl section after one of those goals. I remember it well. It was, it was like uh, I was like a, a war medic on the battlefield trying to drag him out <laughs> with cops all around. Quite a memorable day. I remember when Gary Twigg signed that photo for me, actually. He said he had never seen it before, or at least not that particular one. Uh, but of course, the best part of that picture is the guy in the top right corner with his arms spread out. He's just in heaven, pure joy in yeah, his face. Yeah, it's, it's class. It's, it's, it's class. It just makes me laugh when I look at him because he's just <laughs> in heaven. He's loving it. Like, like everyone in the photo, but he's, he's not even paying attention to what's going on in front of him. His arms are up. His face is up to the sky and he's just, he's in ecstasy. <laughs> uh, let's go through a, a couple of comments from that famous first derby in Tala. We have Carl Lennon, was sitting close to the car park end of the main stand, ended up behind the dugouts when the second went in. Uh, quite a good one here. Sandra Siri says, in 40 years of Rovers ups and downs, wins and losses, I've never in my life felt anything like those few minutes and I don't think the birth of my kids even beat it. Well, <laughs> that's hardcore. <laughs> I like your style, Sandra. Uh, Gab Doyle. The roar after the winner was something I've never heard before. Travelled about six rows of seats when it went in. Some bloke on top of me roaring. Uh, Gavin Doyle says, The roar after the winner was something I've never heard before. 
Travelled about six rows of seats when I went in. Some bloke on top of me roaring. Brilliant. We got out of Block A specifically because it was massively oversold. Massively, and it was it was dangerous. Plus, we wanted to go down. I think we sensed something was going to happen, so we'd be closer to the, the great unwashed and rubbing in their faces when we got even one goal. Uh, Alan Kinsler says, That was the match that got my young lad hooked on Rovers. He'd been to matches when we played Daily Mount, Tolka, etc. But the sheer mayhem, excitement, exhilaration of those few minutes at the end got him hooked. All of a sudden, it was cool to say you were a Rovers fan, rather than an English team in school. Some night. Mark Welch says, First game in Tallis Stadium that I managed to persuade my father to come to. The look of bewilderment on his face when people he'd never met before were hugging me and him as the goals went in. Yeah, that's that's the thing about Rovers. You, you could just end up all over someone when we score goals. That's the way it is. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter who's beside you. Uh, Derek Kelly asked if anyone would be willing to admit when they left the stadium before Twigs equaliser. And indeed, we got a few of those. So here's a, here's the guys that uh, have a story about anyone who left just before the equalisers and, and the winner. Oh, Maguire says, one of the lads in the group I was with that day left about a minute before the equaliser. A minute. It'd be disgusting, wouldn't it? would be raging. A minute. So, uh, they rang when he heard the roars and asked us a 1-1. And just as he asked on the phone, Twiggy scored the second. Absolute mayhem. I'd say that phone ended up in block X. Uh, Glenn Doyle Glenn Doyle tells us that he left at half time to go to a wedding wasn't too bothered as the jippers were winning I will never forget my mood change as the text came in while driving to the reception so I was delighted but fuming I had to leave so Carl uh, who's the winner of our giveaway you have it written down there somewhere do you yeah the winner is Alan Murphy in Florida so well done Al it was uh, great to hear oh, wait, wait, wait 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 hold on hold on no I'm, I'm sorry no there's been a mistake what? There's, there's been a mistake. Um, the Glendon, Glendon, you've won the contest for your story about your sister getting hit by a car, and you both still went to the game. Brilliant! Congratulations. A rover scarf and mug is on its way to you, Glenn. Yeah, this is not a joke. I'm afraid I, I read the wrong thing. It's uh it's very unfortunate what happened there. Yeah, sorry, Al, but at least that saves us shipping expenses. That's it for this week. Uh, don't forget to check out our Facebook and Twitter at East Pod. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and don't forget our email address is talesfromtheeastand at gmail.com. Now, as you know, like orcs leaving Mordor, hordes of the great unwashed shall cross the River Liffey towards the home of the most successful club in Ireland this Friday evening in search of their first three points of the season. But Bradzer's men will be ready and waiting to foil their plans because this is Tala and we are Rovers. So roll on Friday and roll on a derby victory. Keep on hooping, folks. See ya.